Welcome back to Gen Zen, a place where we discuss everything spirituality and self-development as we navigate life as Gen Zs together. So in today's episode, I am joined by Ryan Lanchbury. He is a freelance corporate trainer turned mindfulness teacher and runs eight-week mindfulness courses in MBSR, which is mindfulness-based stress reduction, which we're going to talk all about in today's episode. He also runs mindfulness in the workplace workshops, and his mission is to make mindfulness more accessible to people, both in their personal and professional lives, to equip them with ways of managing their stress and cultivate a greater sense of mind-body being. And in today's episode, we talk all about mindfulness mindfulness. We talk about what the definition of mindfulness is, what is MBSR, how can it help you in your day-to-day life to bring about more awareness, how can we cultivate a greater connection between our thoughts and accept the present moment and really become more aware of how we feel without judgment and just allow ourselves to accept the present moment for what it is. We also talk about different practical ways of incorporating mindfulness into your day-to-day life and we kind of make it a little less fluffy. We talk about how you can have really strong emotions like frustration and anger and how mindfulness doesn't mean that you are calm all the time. It just means that you have a greater sense of awareness around your feelings and can use them as productive ways to heal yourself and learn more about yourself. It's a really, really great conversation that we had and I can't wait for you to listen to it. If you loved, it would mean the world to me for you to share it far and wide and also leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And without further ado, let's get straight into it. So welcome back everyone and welcome Ryan to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. It's exciting to be here. It's really cool. Thank you for having me on. Your first podcast. I, I am a podcast version. It's um, it's it's a big day in Ryan world. Big day, big day. So today <laughs> we are talking about mindfulness. This is a topic that is very close to both of our hearts. Um, we're going to be talking about how you can increase your mindfulness and actually what mindfulness really is at its core, because it's a bit of a buzzword these days. So we're really going to dig deep into what does it actually mean to be mindful and yeah, what are the practical applications in everyday life? But I always start with asking the same question. So Ryan, I'd love to know, what does spirituality mean to you? I love this question. I've been listening to your other episodes thinking, that's a really good question. (laughs) Now I've got to try and answer it for myself. Um, So yeah, I think for me, it's about uh, and it's a very personal thing, isn't it? I think some people identify with that word, some people don't, and that's okay. Um, I don't probably overuse it, but I, I do associate a meaning with it. Um, and for me, I think it is just about kind of connecting with that that inner you, that deeper kind of level of, of you. And it's kind of like that part of you that you fully understand and you fully don't understand all at once. It's kind of like, who you've always been who you are who you always will be but I think and it's a personal belief but for me you know we're we're kind of spirit beings living in a physical environment for a relatively short period of time um call it earth school call it what you like and and so I think it's kind of knowing at an unconscious level even if we don't always know at a conscious level that we are part of something bigger part of something greater 
And the way I've come to kind of see it is it's almost like a journey of unfolding that true nature of who we are. Um, however that works for us and that could be massively different journeys for for different individuals and we all kind of go about that in our our own way really but it's almost like a sense of coming home so that before we leave this physical adventure we don't you know we kind of remember I suppose we remember who we are and we can get to then kind of express that and access that whilst we're still in this physical kind of roller coaster called life. Very good definition. I really like that. Yeah, a remembering of of who we actually are at our core without all the stories and beliefs and narratives about ourselves. It's just that that truest you, the you beneath all of that. So I really, really like that. Thank you yeah, for sharing. That's all right. I think for me, yeah, it's just, you know, it's recognising that we, you know, sometimes you hear people with different beliefs and things, and that's totally fine. You know, I'm, I'm really you know, relaxed about people having different views on this sort of thing. But, you know, this this idea of coming from a source, and for me, it's maybe recognising that we are part of that source. So we're not coming from it. We are part of it. We're not separate from it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that's a big yeah. question, isn't it? It is. It's <laughs> like... It's like consciousness is is the is the ocean and we are a drop in the ocean, but we are still part of the ocean. We are part of that one collective. It's not separate from ourselves, which I really like. Yeah. Um and I'd love to know for people who sort of don't know your journey, sort of what brought you into the mindfulness, spiritual self-development space? Wow. I'm going to try and keep this brief. Um, uh, so I, I kind of got into um, uh, spiritual interest from a really young age. I guess I was a really not typical kind of male teenager. Most of my friends were interested in, you know, football and girls. And I was kind of reading books on spiritual stuff, which was odd because I didn't really have any direct influence around me to kind of influence that. It's just something I seem to, I seem to be drawn. I, I still remember to this day being drawn to a book in a bookshop and it was all about the power of the mind. And I just felt this urge to pick it up and to buy it because I really wanted to read it. And that kind of then led me on from just the power of the mind, if you like, into more mm. kind of spiritual um, texts. And what it book just was kind it? of snowballed from there, really. I knew, why did I say that? I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> so the book, um, and I think it's because at the time he was quite well recognised. So this is going back a long time. Um, but it was uh, by a guy called uh, Yuri Geller, who's, who like, you know, I think he's still around, but he used to be a very, he's quite controversial, but um, did lots of different things, power of the mind and stuff. Um, so no disrespect to Yuri Geller, uh, but it was quite a, you know, looking back it was quite a basic kind of book and it was it was quite high level but um I've kept it because it's the first book that I felt like it kind of opened a door for me and um I think he's done all right for himself so he doesn't need to worry but I never read any more of his book it kind of just opened a door of interest to me in the power of the mind and how we can have so much more power within us than perhaps what we realize but that then led on to more of a spiritual kind of exploration and I got really interested in the healing uh, modalities and uh, and mediumship and then fast forward quite a few years I, I studied and I still practice today Reiki and through all of that I also got really interested in uh, meditation so yeah and and then through a career in kind of like corporate learning and development 
Um, I, I had the opportunity to work with some fantastic people, including Jess, who we both know through our NLP training. So I got to learn lots about, again, how the human mind can work for us and against us and, you know, all that good stuff. So I've just been really lucky, I think. A lot of the time I've just kind of, it's like life's just thrown me these learning opportunities to learn different modalities and and ways to develop myself just generally and maybe spiritually as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and the meditation has kind of been a piece all the way through, but I've never really followed a specific way or anything like that. And I kind of knew of mindfulness as a concept, but I didn't really you know, know much more about it than anyone else. And then in 2020, when, as we all know, things went a little bit belly up for the planet, I had the opportunity to do the eight-week mindfulness course, which I'm sure we'll talk more about later. Um, it's an online course for obvious reasons, um, but it gave me the opportunity to really study and learn more about mindfulness. Um, and obviously, at what was quite a challenging time for a lot of people, it really helped me uh, through some highs and lows at that time. And it kind of stayed with me ever since. And I've been practicing mindfulness, I guess, more intentionally ever since then. And I was so interested in it that I, I took the opportunity when it came up to to qualify as a mindfulness teacher, so that I can now share that with them. Um, other people so yeah that's mm. that's a very kind of condensed ryan story it's whistle stop tour yes of indeed. ryan's story no i like that i also think in that way i i resonate with what you said about you've kind of always been interested in it from a young age and i think that's happening more and more where people because it is becoming bigger now like people are just being introduced to it um, before sort of something dramatic happens in their life that that they turn to it in that way so yeah. now like I know for me when I was 14 I found a book a bit similar and just it kind of was the catalyst for me learning more and more and picking up different mm. things and I think it finds you when you're ready for it and yeah I think that's a really nice thought that whenever you're ready to explore that deeper part of yourself the right opportunities, books, people will present themselves. I love um, that. Yeah, that's a really nice way of, of putting it. And don't get me wrong, especially throughout my teens and early 20s, life kind of happened. <laughs> you know, I kind of dipped in and out of it a bit. I, I went through phases where I got really engrossed in certain books or practices or whatever. And then I kind of got a bit distracted and just had fun, really, like most, you know, teenagers, people in their early 20s do. But I, it, I always kind of came back to it and I never never planned to it was never a conscious decision like you said another book stood out or I met an interesting person who had a common interest or I had an experience that made me kind of connect back with it so yeah it's just always it's just always been there really I suppose mm. and then kind of moving on I guess to talk about mindfulness specifically what is your definition of mindfulness and how do you think it differs from spirituality because this is something that I've been grappling with recently about what are the nuanced differences between it so what's your definition of mindfulness yeah I mean if you if you uh <laughs> google it which of course you don't need to today because you can listen to this lovely episode but um you know that as you're probably aware there's there's loads of definitions of mindfulness um out there but for me it's at its most simple level it's just switching from doing mode to being mode and I think like a lot of concepts out there in the field of personal development or, you know, spiritual development, some some of the concepts on the face of it sound ridiculously simple. And you think, oh, if that's all it is, easy times. But actually, 
the practice of switching from doing mode to being mode is is kind of where the work is. So it's really just befriending the the present moment. So it's being more present, whether that's with our our thoughts, our feelings, and our body too. I I had no idea before my mindfulness training how important the physical body was to mindfulness practice. It's a huge part of a lot of the practices um, in in mindfulness. So yeah, just having that kind of awareness really of what's the weather like, what's your internal weather, if you like, your internal state, having an awareness of that. And of course, of the the environment around you as well. And trying to be really non-judgmental with that. So when you think a thought that you know isn't a healthy thought, but you just thought it, not beating yourself up about that or thinking, oh, why am I still thinking about that thing that really upset me five years ago, you know, but but not judging yourself for that, just just noticing. So having like a a level of compassion and, and a level of acceptance as well. So that doesn't mean to say you have to roll over and accept things the way they are if that's not how you want them to be. But when we accept what is in the present moment, it it can be quite empowering in itself because then we're not resisting, we're not avoiding, and we're saying, right, well, this is where we are. This is what I like about this present moment. This is what I don't. And then we can make a more informed choice, I suppose, about how we respond rather than just react autopilot style and, and what we do next. So, yeah, that, that for me is is mindfulness in a, in a nutshell. It's quite a big nutshell, though, isn't it? <laughs> No, I really like that. Yeah, you touched on so many interesting things within that description of it. Uh, Notably, the one that we can both accept what is happening in the now and still want to change it. Because I think sometimes people think about mindfulness as being quite placating and just, oh, I just have to accept and accept all the things that are happening to me when actually it's it's an empowering process. I think yeah. for both of us, it has been of, of going, well, I only can be in this moment. And rather than chasing, I will, you know, I need to control all these things outside of myself in order to feel okay inside and to be happy. I only exist in the now. And I think that's where the body comes in, doesn't it? Because the body yes. can't be in the future or the past. It can only be in the now. So it's about really coming into the body and yeah doing that in a check-in of how am I actually feeling today so I really yeah. like that and not kind of trying to I think there's so much out there now or more so perhaps than ever around you know influences that try to suggest we should be feeling a certain way we should always be feeling positive we should always be feeling peaceful we should always be feeling fill in the blank and you know there's lots of positive benefits to mindfulness but um, it does encourage us to just embrace good, the bad and the ugly, I suppose. And it's not to dwell in the, the bad and the ugly and to sort of um, say that it has to be that way. But like you say, it's it's quite empowering because when we can see it then for what it is, we can maybe respond more than react and just make more, you know, mm. uh, holistic, informed decisions for ourselves, I guess. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of putting things in boxes. So the, the mindfulness spirituality question is a really interesting one for me. And I think Probably there's loads of people out there practicing mindfulness that don't identify with the word um, spirituality or spiritual. They might follow a mainstream religion. They might have lots of different spiritual beliefs. They might have absolutely none at all and still practice mindfulness. And and I think, you know, that's OK. So for, for me, I don't think mindfulness is a it, it's not necessary. It doesn't have to be a spiritual practice. It's interesting because in mindfulness, we 
we kind of talk about the labels that we put on ourselves and things and thoughts and feelings. So that's, that's quite interesting in itself. If it if it feels like a spiritual practice to you when you're doing it and that helps you, then that's wonderful. But it doesn't have to be a spiritual practice. And it's, you know, certainly the uh, mindfulness training that's most common now in the Western world, it comes from some Eastern traditions. It comes from some Buddhist traditions as well. There's no shying away from that, and that's fine. But but it's kind of been developed in a way that it can be inclusive uh, for everyone of all different uh, beliefs and backgrounds. It, it's not really one particular path, if you like. For me personally, however, I, I do see that I do see that connection because the the power in mindfulness for me is that present moment. And when I'm more present, I can connect more with with my own energy, I suppose, my own being. And for me. The label, if you like, the perspective I put on that is that is quite a profound spiritual experience because it's helping me to connect more with that that deeper level that we were talking about earlier. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I also really like that you say that it it, it doesn't have to pres- prescribe to a specific religion, and the very intention of mindfulness is to be non judgmental and non-attached to labels and we're so quick in life to put labels on ourselves and put ourselves in boxes and so I think it's nice to approach mindfulness just as being about the essence of what it really means to be in the present moment with no label attached to it. I also really liked what you said about you you can accept what's happening but you don't have to be peaceful or happy all the time you can just you can be mindful even when you are feeling angry or upset or frustrated I think sometimes we just really want to understand why why am I feeling like this and what's caused it and how can I help myself and actually the first step is just to go okay I'm I'm having these feelings and let's just accept that for the for the moment let's just accept yeah. where we are rather than desperately trying to to change it all the time I think is really important so important and I think that's something I'm still, if I'm really honest with you, I'm still, you know, at the very young age of 42, just, um, I'm still kind of coming, coming to terms with that, I suppose. And that, that's, that's been a big lesson for me. And a lot of that has come from developing my, my mindfulness practice. And it, it doesn't have to be a long moment, but when we skip that moment, as you say, and we go straight for grasping for whatever we think is the solution or just anything that's better than what what's over here or what's going on in our mind it's like asking someone to fix a car when they haven't really looked at what the issue was in the first place they can have a go and sometimes they might get it right sometimes they might get it wrong sometimes Mm. they might make it worse it's okay it's okay to to be present with with different feelings but I think um mindfulness practice can encourage us sometimes to have a different relationship with those feelings so that we can work with them but they're not so overwhelming so rather than being immersed in the feeling we're almost like a spectator to them we can just disassociate a little bit by taking a step back and going oh okay here's anger or here's sadness or here's frustration or whatever it might be if it's a a less you know positive quality and then just by observing that we're we're already more empowered because we're not in it we're we're looking at it almost from the outside in Mm, yeah yeah, that's really important. And I was going to ask you how we can get better at sort of not getting caught up in the moment, because I think some people 
think that mindfulness is a bit of a separate to real life. Oh, I go and do my mindfulness practices and then I carry on with my real life. But actually, <laughs> mindfulness is about being in, in your life constantly. And, you know, I know sometimes for me, when I get stressed or I get triggered, my mindfulness kind of goes out the window. So how can we really bring ourselves back to the present moment in those moments where it slips? Or how can we get better at doing that? Yeah, that's that's really important, isn't it? And do you know what? And um, I kind of, I, I've heard other people in mindfulness training say this. And I'm like, oh, that's not the answer I wanted to hear. But it is the truth. And it's kind of like, that is the practice. Life is the practice. Life is almost like the meditation. So there are so many different practices and techniques in mindfulness. And there is a place, don't get me wrong, for, for formal meditation if you want to really consciously study mindfulness and giving yourself that time and that space, that quietness and that stillness to do that. And that's really important. But but again, coming back to my car analogy, I don't know why, because I know nothing about cars, Holly. But it's a bit like having a, a shiny new car on the drive, but never driving it anywhere, you know, and, and not ever kind of exploring it and, and finding out what you like about it and what you don't like. and and exploring the area so it's kind of like the the real practice is 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 those moments when we feel less grounded when we feel like not in such a good place and we're not in a place practically speaking where we can just sit on the floor chill out listen to some nice music you know or or do whatever we need to do so um, you know, and some of the techniques in mindfulness um, actually very much lend themselves to those situations. They're not, they're not all necessarily long, uh, complex, formal techniques. And I think we've talked about a bit about the body already. And the body is a great leveler for anchoring us and bringing us back and grounding us to the present moment. Because all the time we're in this physical life, we're in a body. Um, so if our mind and our emotions start racing off in different directions, just bringing our attention back to the body in itself can be um, a really useful, a useful tool. So just noticing your physical sensations. And, and if you're under stress or in a difficult space at the, at the time, they might not be pleasant. You might feel a tightness in the chest. You might feel a churning in the stomach or whatever it might be. But just kind of noticing that, noticing the surfaces that you're sitting or standing on, you know, and just... Um, allowing yourself to just to just take a moment and we can do that it's interesting I've over the years I've worked in lots of different corporate office environments you know and people say oh I haven't I haven't got time though I haven't got time Ryan to just take a step back it's like yeah but how many times do you check your mobile when you go to the toilet so yeah. whilst you might not be able to kind of completely just right everyone stop I need to have a mindful moment there are just really little subtle things we can do whether it's paying attention to our breath whether it's just tuning in with what we're feeling in our body and, and kind of yeah just taking that couple of minutes just to stop and just notice what is it that's triggered me is it a person is it a situation is it a problem is it external to me is it internal to me you know where's it coming from and actually what would best serve me in this moment for what I do next for what mm. I say next for what I do or don't say or do next and you know that might sound like well that's a process Ryan yeah but that's a conversation you can have with yourself in less than 30 seconds and it just gives you that that pause that moment to just reflect 
Whereas often yeah. we use that time instead to kind of build up how awful the situation is and how much that, why we hate that person so much and why they've annoyed or upset us so much or why we're so frustrated with whatever situations come up. Um, mm. So it's just thinking about how do we use that time? And in that moment, how do we maybe step out of autopilot and instead of running those narratives that kind of just support how awful everything is, we don't try and fix it all. We don't try and take it away, but we just kind of say, okay, what am I seeing here? What am I noticing? What am I feeling? And and what serves me yeah. from this from this point? And it's coming at it with non-judgment, isn't it? I think that's that's the Huge. key. And I, yeah. I can remember specifically, I remember being at being at uni and we had to give a presentation to the whole cohort about a project that we were doing and talking in front of my peers was something I was just deeply unsettled by and I remember sitting in in the seat and I knew that we that my group was going next and my heart was like racing and I could feel like the blood rushing to my cheeks and I was like I'm getting really really stressed here and usually what happens in that situation is my mind goes you can't get stressed you can't get stressed this is really really bad because this is going to happen and then that's going to happen and everyone's going to see that you're going red and and my mind would just run away and I decided to instead of doing that just pay attention to this to the physical responses so I just sat there and I just focused okay my heart's beating fast all right just say that that's that's it don't don't say anything else that's what's happening so just and I felt that I was just noticing my heart beating I was noticing all these sensations like my hands were going clammy and amazingly the more I just lent into feeling that with no judgment at all it was amazing how quickly they subsided and once they'd subsided I actually managed to get up and speak no problem and it was probably the most calm I'd felt being on on a stage and to me that was just a really standout moment where I think I really did practice mindfulness in the moment I didn't do any specific practices then I just sat with the feelings and didn't let my mind create this whole narrative around what it what it meant and just yeah approaching it with non-judgment really really helped and by accepting how you were feeling at the time and by not judging how you were judging yourself for how you were feeling at the time you you kind of broke a an automatic pilot cycle if you like you took the um the heat out of the conflict it's like well how can I have an inner conflict with myself about something if I just accept that that's how I'm feeling and all Mm. of a sudden everything just kind of goes and kind of like just calms down a little bit I love the way you you describe that like the more you lean into these feelings and experiences sometimes you'd think it would be more challenging and more difficult and sometimes at first it is um, but it's the same with pain management as well it's actually how a lot of uh, mindfulness practice came to be in the western world um, it was massively shared by a guy called John Kabat-Zinn who initially was looking at it very much from a, a point of view of helping people who were living with you know chronic or even terminal illnesses the idea that mindfulness can help with pain is still one that I think some people struggle with that concept and it's not saying that mindfulness is of is in itself a healer but what it's saying is that when we when we turn into some of these feelings and we accept them with non-judgment it's surprising how much that can that can change our experience of them Mm. 
Yeah. So going on to talk a little bit about your training, you're trained in MBSR. Is that right? Yes. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes. Could you explain to everyone what is MBSR and what does it entail? Yeah, sure. So um, I mentioned John Cabot's in there. So um, anyone uh, who has dabbled in mindfulness or heard about it may well have heard of him. If if you're into mindfulness, you probably you probably have. He's he's widely recognised by a lot of people, as I said, of kind of introducing mindfulness into the into the Western world and kind of taking, like we said earlier, some of those aspects of it that have come from Eastern traditions or even the Buddhist religion and and kind of then making it more inclusive, if you like for for all and he started doing some research and work in a medical center where he was working at the time i think in the 70s and he was able in america in this medical center to run some different mindfulness classes with mostly outpatients i think but they were living um, certainly if not terminal but certainly with very chronic um, health conditions and a lot of those health conditions caused them caused them pain and restricted their ability to do different things in life, shall we say? So, um, and he started running these mindful mindfulness classes with these with these different patients, and, and what he actually found, and the results that him and they experienced were were really quite profound. And, and the level of impact it had, positive impact. There was a spectrum. It it helped some people more than others, but for those people that really kind of practiced, and this was key, and still is in the in the training today, that they practiced in between the classes, so they didn't just go to the session and be like right I'm here now so I'll do the mindfulness thing they kind of practiced in their own time as well a lot of them felt a huge benefit and so that's really where the MBSR course came from uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction it came from those kind of original early experiences he had I suppose and it's developed into this this eight-week training program you do one week after the other Um, each session is about I don't know an hour and a half, two hours long, depending on the size of the group and how much discussion there is. And normally for most eight-week MBSR courses, there's there's an element of a retreat involved as well, whether it's a whole day or half a day retreat. And that's normally in the last two to three weeks of the course. So by that point, you know, all the learners have kind of had a bit of time to to experience mindfulness, to really start practicing it. And so the retreat then just gives them an opportunity to to embed some of what they've learned and just to really enjoy that that experience I suppose of, of giving themselves that that time but like with a lot of these practices you know with the MBSR it is about how much time you can give to it in between the classes so if you just go to the classes do the exercises and then don't explore the practices in your own time between classes you will almost definitely get less from it um, the classes are almost just there to give you that that guidance, that community and that support. And then it's, as we know, with a lot of these things, it's then about how you apply it outside of the uh, outside of the learning environment, I suppose. Mm. And who would you say the course is, is for? Is it for people who want to then teach mindfulness or is it for anyone who just wants to learn more about it so they can implement it in their own life? Yeah, uh, a bit of both, really. So as far as I'm aware, you wouldn't be able to, certainly in the UK anyway, I don't think a mindfulness teacher training qualification is an option if you haven't done the eight-week course. So a prerequisite for me to have been able to do the teacher training qualification that I embarked on last year was to have done the the eight-week course first um, and to have some kind of a regular mindfulness practice as well, because there's something about 
a mindfulness teacher who knows all the theory, has read all the stuff, has their nice little neat, shiny lesson plan, but they're not really practicing mindfulness. And it's kind of like, you know, those people can still teach and that's okay. And let's remember non-judgment, right? But Mm -hmm. there is something much more powerful about someone who's embodying the practice kind of taking you taking you through that um mm. but yeah it, you, you might not be interested in teaching mindfulness and you don't have to be um a lot of people go on to the eight-week course because they're just a bit curious about mindfulness and they want to learn a little bit more some people do have very specific reasons it might be that they struggle with um, different aspects of their mental health or their physical health and they're looking to mindfulness to see if there's aspects of it that can help them help them with that and then mm. there's people like me who just love learning all this stuff. Yeah. And we just want to do it all. We just want to do it all, Holly. We want to learn. So, yeah. I know. I resonate <laughs> with that. Just want to learn it all. <laughs> so um, it can be a real mixed bag of people, you know. Mm. And even if you're going on to that course because you want to be able to then teach it in the future, you know, my personal advice, and it is based on my personal experience, so it might, it's, it's not to impose that on anyone else, but, you know, go on the course to go on the course because actually – that's where that's where the learning is so Mm. try and go into it with an open mind and any longer term aims you have after that brilliant but just get as much from that eight-week course as you can I suppose it's kind of considered the the gold standard really for for mindfulness training in the west so yeah um, it's a great experience in itself and what do you think were some of your sort of biggest takeaways from the course and also what changes did you see in your life as a result of going on it as I said, I mean, when I went on the course, we were in 2020 and it was a difficult time, right? For most people, 2020. And I think I signed up for the course. I had a couple of emails with the course tutor because it was all going to be online. And then I got made redundant and that was a bit rubbish. And then about 24 hours later, my wife found out that she was being made redundant. So wow. that was kind of like a really difficult few days for us and we were both incredibly blessed lucky whatever it might be we both actually found employment in that time soon after but in that initial moment it was like I I owe a lot to my to my mindfulness tutor actually um, because I contacted him by email and I just said you know this has happened (laughs) I don't think I can do this anymore Uh, and he was like well that's I understand that it sounds like you've got a lot going on but actually do you know what I don't like people to to not be able to access this opportunity because of you know financial situations or whatever. So if if you're open to it, we can have a conversation and you know you tell me what you can do and we'll we'll work something out. And that's exactly what we did. So he was incredibly generous and thank goodness for that because it it helped me continue. So it was it was a more stressful time than normal, but it um it really shone a light for me on uh, on my Ryanisms. <laughs> So my the, my kind of behaviour patterns and the way I react to things, good, good and bad. I mean, obviously, when you're going through a difficult time, you know, whether it's a pandemic or being made redundant or you know whatever it could be, health issues, relationship issues. Of course, that's going to press some of your buttons. Um, it does for most for most people, right? But yeah, I started. I think what it did for me is it, I started to become really aware of of my behavior patterns of my narratives the way i reacted to things and i and i have to say to you at first i found that quite uncomfortable i didn't really 
like it. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, you know, um, ignorance is bliss sometimes. <laughs> yeah, completely, completely. You know, I can I can relate to that back to to the NLP training that I know we've both experienced as well. You know, with a lot of these modalities, you're the real learning, the real transformation is kind of um, taking a look at yourself. And there are elements of yourself that you like and there are elements of yourself where you're like, ooh. But, you know, that's where some of the attitudes of mindfulness, such as non-judgment, for example, are just so important because it's not about judging you for reacting or thinking in that way or behaving in that way. It's just getting you to, you know, just accept it in that moment and, and be with it. So so that was the key thing for me, I think. I'm lucky to be a parent to little people who are probably my two greatest teachers and it really shone a light as well on how I reacted with them and my behaviors as a parent when we were having a good day and my behaviors as a parent when we weren't or when the children might be challenging me and then noticing some patterns and thinking oh yeah I think my mum used to do that or my dad used to do that you know and not necessarily big big things but just like oh where did I learn that behavior from where did I think that that was the right way to deal with that situation and then I'm like oh oh yeah okay <laughs> so it was just a massive um, eye-opener for me in in so many ways of different patterns and behaviors that I've developed over time um, but also what mindfulness has done for me which I think to this day I'm so grateful for it has just helped me appreciate life so much more which might sound a little bit cheesy because I've always understood or for a long time understood the concept of, of gratitude. But I think, you know, being someone that's always been interested in personal development and transformation, always been interested in spiritual development, it's very easy to jump on a train without noticing of what's the next thing or, oh, when I've just learned this, I'll be able to do that or everything will be, be better when I've done this course or done that. And actually the, what mindfulness did for me was it made me appreciate just what was in the, the here and now. And it's okay to aspire and to want more and to do more and to, and to plan, but actually just to really appreciate the present moment um, because that is all we have. We spend so much time living in the past that's been and gone and isn't here anymore or thinking about a future that hasn't yet arrived and might not when actually all of our power is in that, that present moment. And it, it has taught me to appreciate that present moment much more. So there are really small things in my day now that I appreciate that I probably mm. used to just not even notice to be honest with you yeah and the the things we focus on then get bigger where if we're focused on the negative they the negative amplifies if we're focused on appreciation and gratitude for the good things and they are going to be what we're focused on we could have 50 percent good things 50 percent bad things if we focus on all the good things they're going to get bigger if we focus on the bad things they're going to get bigger so yeah I really really like that I also think I'm really interested in what you said about it actually shed a light for you on things that patterns of behavior. And I think that's a really interesting conversation about, you know, because I think some people perceive mindfulness as, oh, I'm not allowed to get frustrated. I have to be (laughs) mindful all the time. And sometimes that can almost lead to like more frustration. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't know if you have any sort of, um advice for that when you think oh i don't want to be mindful right now um you know can i, I am i not really pissed off yeah am i not allowed to be angry um, <laughs> sort yeah. of yeah oh wow i think you just summed up my life in like 30 seconds holly thanks for that um but in all seriousness i think i think in lots of ways you have because i think 
I was kind of getting there. I was finding my way anyway. Maybe, like you said, things find us at the right time, don't they? And maybe that's why it was the right time for me and, and my mindfulness training. And it, it definitely, it definitely accelerated this for me. But learning that actually, you know, who is who is creating this kind of perfect image of call it what you like spirituality being mindful what is that all about exactly um and i I, am a really good friend of mine who i who i occasionally do some work with um she's really interested in mindfulness as well um she doesn't do the eight week or she hasn't done the eight week yet but she might be doing it soon with myself and she's been on uh, other mindfulness retreats and uh this course leader who she's got to know quite well and who is just this vision of calm and presence and being mindful she arrived at the venue early and the course leader kind of came in soon after and he was really flustered and kind of just not not zen person that she remembered and you know he'd had a nightmare car journey and he thought he was going to be late he wasn't late but he had a lot less time to get ready and set up and he said to her he said i'm still human <laughs> I'm not like, you know, I'm not living in some kind of um, other dimension where I can just be perfect and calm all the time. Um, and I'm going to now, I'm really conscious of that. I'm not going to judge myself for it. And I'm just going to allow myself some time to feel that. And, and hopefully that will help me kind of get into a, a space where I want to be. And I think for a large part of my life, I've been aspiring to this idea of calm and present and having to be in a certain way. But but I think if that was the gig, we wouldn't be here, right? We'd we'd be in some other dimension. Mm. Um, maybe we have been. Maybe we will be. Maybe that's another episode. But I think all the time we're in this kind of physical life, you know, we're here to be tested. We're here to have all those buttons pressed. And I mm. I would say to people just to reflect on that. I don't I don't want to like impose ideas on people. But certainly based on my life experience, I think I spent a lot of time chasing that ideal. And then when I did get angry, I kind of like judged myself. I thought, oh, no, I'm not being spiritual. I'm not being present. But actually, that's part of life. And that is part of the practice. And, and when we can actually incorporate those experiences into our practice, there's some deeper learning and development there than mm. sitting quietly in a corner and and sh- shutting ourselves off from the world so yeah yeah I think there's time for that peaceful calm controlled environment to to meditate and to develop but there's there's a time to just be out there in the world as well um, yeah. for all of its beauty and all of its chaos and all of its joy and all of its pain exactly. and let's face it there's a lot of all of that going on out there right now there is um, and it's going on within us as well and and when we don't honor that we're not really honoring ourselves And we're not really practicing mindfulness. We're trying to kind of put on some kind of imaginary mask, I think. And I I don't think that's what the world needs Mm. right now, really. No, I, I, (laughs) I completely agree. We need more of us really understanding our emotions, not being scared of them. And actually, sort of, this has been a relatively new practice for me, but I've always felt like I can handle my emotions quite well. But recently I've decided to really throw myself into feeling more deeply. So when I am sad, rather than sort of going, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, like I don't need to cry, I don't need to cry, I'll just sort of fully, fully lean into it as much as I can. Or if it's frustration, just like, yeah, just be in that sadness. Don't try and go, I'm calm, I'm calm. You know, no, I'm, 
I'm angry and frustrated and and feel it and see it as because I I truly think that all emotions are here to teach us something or give us new new insights into how to better proceed and gain clarity about things and so actually by really really feeling them it's almost for me made me get through them quicker it's like I I'll feel it really deeply and then I'll have that clarity I'll have that insight and then the next day a few hours later it's like the calm after after a storm um I know the saying is calm before the storm but like you get that calm after the storm as well absolutely and that's been really helpful of of not going I'm not allowed to feel frustrated I have to be mindful all the time it's you know actually really allow yourself to feel it again like we said with no judgment to understand it better and understand yourself better and maybe that is part of your mindfulness practice you know you can Mm -hmm. be frustrated and mindful at the same time so I guess what we're really exploring is what is you know if, if we're defining mindfulness as this kind of perfect state of being perhaps frustration doesn't figure in that but actually we can be we can be frustrated and be mindful of that at the same time, which is a little bit like what you were saying about some of the work you've been doing with different emotions like sadness, for example, because if you weren't being mindful with sadness, you'd be maybe beating yourself up about, oh, well, why am I feeling sad? Oh, I'm feeling sad again. I shouldn't be feeling sad. I'm meant to be positive, Holly, or whatever, mm. or, you know, or kind of trying to distract yourself and go and do something that's going to very superficially, inverted commas, cheer you up. Whereas when you're actually just embracing that feeling or that emotion, whatever it is, that is that is mindful practice in it in itself, really. It's acceptance and it's it's non-judgment. And 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 as we both know, I think, you know, if you don't if you don't allow yourself to explore those emotions, where are they going? Mm. Because they're not they're probably not leaving you. (laughs) They're staying in your body. They're they're staying somewhere on different levels of your being, but especially your body. And that's that's not great. That's not great for us individually. It's not great for our loved ones, our communities, our, our wider world. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. I think that's um, that's a great example of, of how mindfulness can be applied in practice, really, not just in not just in the easy times, not just in yes, the good times. not just in the good times. Exactly. And I'd also love to find out what are some of your favorite or most effective mindfulness practices that you uh, implement in your day-to-day life yes um so there are in in the training that i've done through the eight-week uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction there are formal practices for want of a better word but it's what we call it and informal practices so as you might imagine the formal practices are a bit more i'm going to give myself some time to sit down and do my thing uh, the informal practices is kind of like well you know, we have a life to live, we need to be out there living it. And that's where a lot of the practice can come from. So it's it's kind of a bit of a bit of both, I guess. There are different techniques in the MBSR that we do. Uh, one of them actually is mindful walking, which when I first found out about mindful walking, I was just like, well, that's just walking, isn't it? Hello. <laughs> We're all doing it every day. But there's so much more to it than that. So it's kind of thinking about some of these things that we do in the everyday, how can they become part of our practice? And and so real, true mindful walking. Yeah, you can apply it informally on the school run or on the way to work or or whatever. If you if, if that's the only time you've got to do it, it's better to do it then than not at all. But if you embody it as a practice, it can literally be giving yourself some space indoors or outdoors 
teach it to just walk, but to walk more intentionally, more slowly and be really present with the experience of, of walking and your feet lifting up from the ground or the surface beneath you and then touching it again. So that's actually one of my favourites. I find that to be a really grounding experience. I suppose it helps kind of ground me back a bit more in the present. We do a lot of work with uh, the body. So we do something called a body scan practice where we're kind of in a meditative sort of uh, context, whether we're sitting or lying down, we're just being aware of different sensations that we're feeling in the body, different parts of the body. But again, like we've been talking about, you know, with with non-judgment and with compassion. Um, one of the ones that I, I enjoy the most and probably practice most frequently because it can be as long or as short as you like is something called the three-step breathing space. And that really helps us to do a lot of what we've been talking about today. So to acknowledge where we are, but then to kind of gather, if you like, into a point of focus just to help ground us a little bit with that. And then to expect finally to expand out again. So to kind of then become more aware of your whole body or the space around you. So, so yeah, that's one that um, I probably practice quite a lot. Um, because you could do that for half an hour, 45 minutes. You could do it for five, 10 minutes max. So you mm. can make it shorter as long as you like. So, yeah, yeah, it's finding practices that that work for you. But in the three-step breathing space, we're, we're acknowledging what are, what are the emotions I'm feeling right now in this moment? What are the feelings I'm feeling? What are the thoughts that I'm thinking? What sensations am I feeling in my in my physical body? And then in the second step, you're kind of using an anchor it could well be the breath. The breath is used a lot. If the breath is triggering for you, you can use another anchor instead, mindfulness of sound or another area of your physicality. But using the breath as an example, you then just keep focusing on the breath as a way of kind of gathering your your attention in. You're not trying to fix any of those things you've, you've acknowledged. You're just focusing your attention in on the breath. And then, yeah, from there, you'll find that your mind starts to wonder, I'm just going to focus on my breath. And then you're thinking about what you're going to do next or how long have I been doing this? Did I set my timer? Did I put my phone on silent? And every time when you're practicing mindfulness, every time you're distracted from whatever you've chosen to be your, your focus, every time you notice that you've been distracted and then you come back to that chosen focus, that is an act of mindfulness. So a lot of people think I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to do my breathing. I'm going to be mindful of the breath. Oh, no. I started thinking a thought, oh no, I failed. You absolutely haven't failed because when you notice that distraction and you bring yourself back, it doesn't matter how many hundreds or thousands of times you do that. Every time you do it, it's an act of mindfulness. So mm. it's, um, yeah. That's actually a win, isn't it? Every yeah, time you notice completely. it is, oh, I've noticed it. That should be celebrated because you've actually been able to bring yourself back and yes. you're now back in the present moment. I think a lot of people, when they think of mindfulness, they think, oh, wow, I've got, to, I've got to clear my mind. I've got to empty my mind. And I always just kind of say, well, best of luck with that. <laughs> we know there are people out there that can or have in the past done it right. Not all of them, but some of them probably did live in a cave. And that's fine. That's their belief system. That's their journey. That's their life. I'm not, you know, I don't mean to sound flippant about that. But, you know, if, if, we're, if we're living in this crazy fast modern world that we are living in for me it's not really about clearing the mind it's just about changing our relationship with our mind and the thoughts that come through it so sometimes thinking of those thoughts that come through our mind almost as like a train but giving yourself the choice as to whether or not you get off the platform and on the train so you could just stay on the platform 
and watch the trains go through. So you're observing those thoughts. You're not getting hooked onto them, separating yourself a little bit and just just noticing them for what they are. They're just thoughts. They're just Mm. thoughts. Yeah, you don't Um, have to be consumed by them if you don't want to be. You can just have a thought and let it pass. You don't have to jump right into it and believe it to be true and wonder where it came from and what you're going to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really, really like that. Oh, I think that's a really, really lovely place to end really is the sentiment that mindfulness can look different to everyone and you just have to find it's about finding the practices that work for you and you might try something and think "Mm, actually that's not that doesn't really do it for me so just try a different practice because it has to work for you in your life doesn't it absolutely and you know Mm. just just to remember whether you choose to practice mindfulness or not you know maybe just explore the idea that you are not your thoughts. Mm. There's a thought. I mean, that's a thought in itself, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Yeah. But, but, you know, you are not your thoughts. They are just thoughts. Yeah, yeah, you have the power to listen to them or not or choose a different thought. So, yeah, yeah it's all a choice. So I'd love to ask you, it feels very topical for this uh, conversation, but what makes you feel zen in your life? I know you like to ask everyone this at the end. I've been doing my homework and (laughs) listening to your episodes. Um, And this one I do find easier to answer, I think, because for me, it's just nature, 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 nature. Like, just give me some more of that and I'm good. Um, To the point where if I don't have the time or the opportunity to be in nature, I've always been open to this sort of thing, but I've been doing it a lot more recently. Like, I'll have, like, if I'm working at home, I'll have... um, some music on in the background but it won't be normal music it'll be like nature sounds or some kind of forest bathing playlist on spotify or something um just just embodying that energy of nature i Mm. find incredibly calming for me it really helps me kind of ground myself and and feel connected so yeah but when i can being being out in nature is 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 my my great level of whether that's the garden i'm very lucky we're we're very lucky to have a, a good sized garden um but we also live really close to the south downs and the sea so whether it's a walk along the sea on the sand you know or up in the up in the hills somewhere and barefooted as well i don't know when i became one of those people like it's so normal now isn't it like so many people do that now yeah and i just think what are they doing I'm like, yeah, that's what they're doing. I know what they're doing. And it's just yeah. that connection. It's just feeling that connection with with Mother Earth and just allowing yourself to be. I think nature has so much to to teach us and it's um it's our it's our kind of peril really if if we don't maybe listen to it a bit more now. Because yes. I think it, it has so much to teach us about how to just be and remember who we are and, mm. and what we're all about. Yeah, there's an incredible book by Eckhart Tolle called Stillness Speaks. And he says, let nature teach you stillness because it is, you know, there's tree. When you look at a tree, it is just still. It's just being. It is embodying just being. It's not doing anything. I find great comfort in that. I think, yeah, you're so right. Nature does have a lot to teach us. Yeah. So, yeah. And... My last final question is just how can people connect with you or work with you or just find out more about what you do? Sure. Well, um, I'm 
probably a little bit quiet on social media at the moment. <laughs> so um, if they're on LinkedIn, they can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Um, I do have a website and I'll share that address with you in a moment, or I know you can put it in the, in the notes. In the, in the um, notes, yes. At the time of recording, it's, it's under construction. So uh, <laughs> hopefully by the time people hear this, it might not be. Um, but yes. yeah, at the time of recording, it is, I'm just aware. Of it. So if you go, if you do visit it and it's down, it, it's not down forever. It's just, um, I'm just doing some work on it at the moment. But also you can contact me direct um, by email. I'm happy for you to share that in the show notes as well. Mm. Um, I'd read all these things out, Holly, but I have quite a long surname. So I don't know if it's better just to put it in the, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I'll pop it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll, um, I'll share all that information with you. And depending on when people hear this, um, I am going to be running a, an eight-week MBSL course online from September. So um, it doesn't matter where you are in the UK or indeed the world if you're able to uh, log on at the right time. So if you're interested in that, then, uh, yeah, you can get in touch. Lovely. I think I might be interested in that. <laughs> I need yeah. to go find the links for that. That sounds awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. That has been really wonderful. I feel like I've learned more about mindfulness as well and fully sort of understood what it really means and how it fits into our everyday life and its connections to our true nature. So thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And to everyone else, we will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If this episode left you feeling more zen, it would mean the absolute world to me if you went and gave it a review. It's the best way to get new people into the Gen Zen community and get even more amazing guests onto the show so we can have more juicy and expansive conversations. Thank you so much in advance and until next time, stay zen.